Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with y'all. My name is Ryan Moore, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. And yes, I am one of the pastors on staff here. We can make a big, keep laughing about that. But glad you're here if you're visiting. And uh, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Ruth. 224 in your pew Bible, the blue book, page 224. We uh, will be concluding our study on the book of Ruth. And next week, move into our summer psalm series that will carry us through the rest of the summer. So my attempts, as I I will read the entire chapter 4 here for us, is to... Uh, bring sort of a, a conclusion to the drama that is unfolding, but also the conclusion that the book points us to um, as a whole. So with that, uh, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy The field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Milan. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you the, give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not, who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would graciously pour out your spirit among us, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear and see things otherwise we could not, so that we may respond to you in a way that would be pleasing to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. I don't have a specific example in mind because this essentially happens every day, but I think you'll understand and relate to it, um, and you'll have your own um, you know, story to plug in there. But basically, here's, here's, here's how I want to start this morning. <clears throat> my girls, and I have four girls, if you don't know, that are under 10. My girls are pros at being treated to lunch or maybe even dinner. Maybe we go out for dinner uh, somewhere. And they are pros at, at, at being treated to that and then stuffing their faces until their bellies are just about to pop only to return home and perhaps an hour later start complaining that they are starving, that they want something to eat. Uh, you know, and of course, as their evil dad, I say, girls, we just ate. Um, maybe a lecture here about what starving really is and isn't. But, um, you know, I remember back at the wherever we were, it happens all the time. You said you were full. Um, and so here we are now. Sorry, the kitchen is closed. You can drink some water, which always gets... More rounds of complaints, but, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes this happens right as we walk in the door, right? Just, I mean, I, I can't even look at food and somehow somebody is still hungry and wanting something to eat, regardless of them being full moments prior. All right. Now, all of us can relate to this in some shape or form. This has been us. Maybe we have kids. We, we, we've seen the same thing. We've all been there. And, and what I want us to see about this is what's, what's true about what my girls experience in their faux starvation is uh, a real uh, subtle truth that fullness or contentment, right? It doesn't happen here. It doesn't, it doesn't happen here, in this place, in this world, in this age, as scriptures will attest you. Fullness will never come to them here. Both materially, but more importantly, spiritually speaking, good things will come their way. And I pray that they will. Dreams that they have might even come true one day. 
and I pray that they will. But they will never satisfy, nor will they fill them with what their hearts are truly looking for. They will never be full from the things that are here in this world. And that is a hard lesson that they will continue to learn throughout their lives that their parents and their grandparents know all too well in different shapes and forms. And this, friends, is where the book of Ruth leaves us. This is where the book of Ruth leaves us too. Fullness will come to Naomi in this final chapter as you heard. But it's not in the way that we might think. God's plan for fullness, for contentment, for blessing is not that we would find it here, but that we would find it in the things, or not in the things of this world, but in knowing him. Specifically, knowing him in the person of Jesus Christ. That, friends, is where true fullness comes, and that is where Ruth points us to our true kinsman redeemer, as we will see. So to get at that, uh, I want us to look at three things that are not in your bulletin. I want us to see uh, the need for a redeemer in this in this last chapter. I want us to see the beauty of the redeemer in this last chapter and the power of the redeemer in this last chapter. And then we will look at the end as the credit roll, so to speak, of of the fruits of fullness that are brought to us because of this redeemer. Okay, so. Uh, Just to reiterate those again, you have the need and the beauty and the power of the Redeemer. So let's look at that first one there. Uh, The need for a Redeemer. The need for a Redeemer that we see here is essentially to say that, that there is a need for someone to do something for you which you cannot do for yourself. And that is exactly where Naomi is at this point. Chapter 3 ended with the tension of Ruth going to Boaz in a very risky way. Uh, This was Naomi's plan. uh, To call on him to be her, Naomi's redeemer. By marrying her, Ruth, in order to produce a child. That would continue the name of Elimelech and thus keep the land given to him in his name. And so we leave that chapter Um, perhaps wanting this to possibly work out between Ruth and Boaz. We kind of like this, you know, real possible relationship. But but Boaz is is too much of a good guy, right? He knows the law. He's a faithful man. He's a worthy man, the text says. And he knows that there is somebody else uh, next of kin, right, who actually gets the first right of refusal. And so he goes there to take care of that. And that's where we begin in chapter 4. The curtain rises and Boaz has gone up to the city gate where business matters were conducted, if you want to call it that. Because Naomi has what? A great need for a redeemer. And it just so happens that as he's sitting there, the redeemer... The next of kin, the kinsman redeemer, passes by in verse 1. Look at it. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. It's a miracle. There he is. He's right there. Now notice we are not given the name of this redeemer. So for our time, we will call him Mr. So-and-so. Perhaps you have a Mr. So-and-so in your family as well. I don't know. But as Boaz spots Mr. So-and-so, he calls him over, and in the presence of these elders, uh, he tells him all that has gone on with Naomi, uh, Elimelech, uh, their sons, and now Ruth. 
um, perhaps. Uh, but, but he just tells them the whole story. And now Naomi has returned, but her husband and children are, are dead. And we find then in verse 3 that Naomi is selling this parcel of land that belonged to Limelech. But what that really means is she is offering it to be redeemed in order that it might remain in Elimelech's name. Boaz pitches the offer to the kinsman redeemer. And before the elders, and by the end of verse 4, Mr. So-and-so says, I'll take it. It's like, I will redeem it. And for now, it seems the matter is closed and the story over. Naomi has found what she has been really looking for up to this, since the beginning of the story, and that is a kinsman redeemer who will redeem the land in order to keep it in Elimelech's name. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer with relationship to this land, right? I talked about it briefly just a minute ago, but I think it just needs to be sort of fleshed out a little bit more because this gets kind of complicated for us being so culturally uh, distant from this day and age. A kinsman redeemer is one who would marry their brother's widow if their brother died or if not his brother, a next of kin. The purpose of this is to produce a male heir so that the land will go to that male. In other words, stay in that family. Deuteronomy 25.6 reads as such in saying that the first son born of a liberate union would what carry on the name of the dead, carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. I know you're like, what? See, the land promise for Israel, and we're not going to jump all the way into this, but I'm just going to sort of tease you with it for a little bit just to kind of let you know there's more at stake here. It's, it's more, more important than just sort of having a will in order to keep grandpa's antique armoire in the family. There, there are, are, are spiritual significant, there's a spiritual realities and significance to the land promise for Israel. Um, And suffice it to say, to keep that land acted as a tangible reminder to Israel of their share in God's promises for them. In good Old Testament theology, you could say to lose the land was to lose the promise, so to speak, to be cut off from God. And this is where we ultimately see this happening in exile later on in Israel's story. So what Naomi is doing, though, is she's trying to make sure that the land given to Limelech, who's been dead for more than 10 years at this point, remains in his family. This is confusing to us, but this is just normal faithfulness to Israel at this point. They're just following God's law. See that. But Christopher Christopher Ash points this out, that this is the purpose of the whole drama, (laughs) to restore this land to Limelech's family. And the way you keep that inheritance is you find... That kinsman redeemer. There's a relative somewhere. Who's got to find him. And maybe he will redeem the land. The the problem that's at hand. If not, there's somebody else. See, a kinsman redeemer isn't something hard to find. In essence, every male in Israel was a redeemer by law. And if that didn't work, meaning if you couldn't find someone to do it, there was even a final way to return the land to the rightful owner. And this was the year of Jubilee. 
And the reason I say that is because there are, there's so much put into the law for Israel in order to restore that land back to that original family because of the significance that it had there. And to, and to consider losing that, to consider not having that created a desperation, a need that Naomi has. As we said before, in order for the land to return, whether by kin or in the year Jubilee, you had to have a male heir, and and she has none of that. She has none of that. She needs a son. She needs somebody to do something for her that she cannot do for herself. And that's the point of a redeemer. And it seems that Boaz has found a redeemer, but there is a catch. And this gets us to the second point, and that is the beauty of a redeemer. But this is the first point, the need of a redeemer. And that is a need for someone to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. But let's look at that second point, the beauty of the redeemer, verses 5 to 6. As we said, there's a catch. Well, what is that catch? And you kind of caught it as we read the story it's almost like maybe Boaz is slow playing a little bit of what it means to redeem this land. Verse 5, then Boaz says, The day, though, you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That is, to redeem Naomi's property means that you must marry Ruth the Gentile outsider Moabite, in order to produce an heir for Naomi to keep the land in Elimelech's family. Now, there would have been no way for Mr. So-and-so to know about this. Um, He thought perhaps maybe he was just simply acquiring another track of land for his portfolio, perhaps to give to his kids one day. He's happy to do that. But as we get to verse 6, we see that Mr. So-and-so is all of a sudden out. Can't do it anymore. Uh, going to be too costly. And that's what he says. It would impair his own inheritance. How so? Well, practically speaking, and we can enter into this. If you're going to acquire other mouths to feed, that's expensive. If you're going to bring other people into your family, maybe you need to add on. And you can't add on that extra bedroom and kitchen for this family. And so in, in, in that day and age, uh, you might just assume pass because you financially can't do it. We're not sure exactly what it is. And in one sense, we shouldn't rush to sort of judge Mr. So-and-so for not taking up uh, the obligation uh, to be the kinsman redeemer. But what we do begin to see is that redemption, what, comes at a cost. And, and in this specific story, which, which, which is, is front and center to us, is, is that to redeem this land for Naomi will come at no gain to that Redeemer. Only loss. He would be doing this pro bono, as we like to say. Now, we all know, as I said, that Mr. So-and-so might not be in a financial position to do so. And so he did not. He, he declines the option. And at this point, we're sort of like cheering inside, right? Because we know, we know what's going to happen. Boaz is the next in line. Boaz gets to take, you know, be the redeemer. 
This is great. This is what we wanted to happen, right? This is sort of that Hallmark movie ending all of a sudden. But while we might get excited about that, we cannot, and I don't want you to miss the cost that comes to Boaz for this as the Redeemer, because it's only an understanding the cost that we see what the beauty of a Redeemer. Because this picture of a Redeemer that Boaz offers to us is one that takes the cost on himself. And I know what you're thinking, Ryan, look, he's getting Ruth, right? That could be good. That could be real good for a guy his age. And I'm sure it is. And, and we could speculate about some of those things. But the point of the matter, the point that the narrator is driving home is that Boaz is saying, I will pay. I will do it. He will marry Ruth for the purpose of providing an heir. He will take that cost onto himself of providing for Naomi, for providing for Ruth, for providing for the heir to come and take the land that he is purchasing, so to speak, that he will never see. That's a cost. That's a hit. And what the pages of Ruth are setting the stage for then is that for some redemptions to take place in order, sorry, is that for some redemptions to take place so that others might flourish, someone else must be willing to lose. And that's why we love Boaz. There's a beauty there of that. And the greater the cost, of course, the greater the sacrifice of that Redeemer, what happens? The more, the more beautiful it is. And it's at this point in the story, all of a sudden, that a certain Redeemer that we know of, but they don't yet, right, becomes so palatable to us. It's here that we begin to see God and his law laying the blueprints for Jesus, his redeemer to come for us. Our true kinsman redeemer to take upon himself what the cost of redeeming a people outsiders like Ruth. So that they might what? Be full. Flourish. In fact, Jesus won't just come to redeem faithful, kind Gentiles Like Ruth, he'll actually come for his enemies. And he will offer his life for them. What is more beautiful than that? And as we'll see, Boaz's willingness to redeem at great personal cost himself will ultimately to be the way that true fullness comes to Naomi, but also comes to us. But let's finish the story. This is... Point two, the beauty of the Redeemer. And the beauty of the Redeemer is the cost they take upon themselves. So the third point, finally, the the power of a Redeemer. And the power of a Redeemer is that a Redeemer actually has the ability to restore what is cut off. Verses 7 to 12 carry us through the rest of this drama between Boaz and the town elders in a weird customary act of confirming a transaction. Uh, Boaz and Mr. So-and-so swap shoes. Why? don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a reminder as they walk on the land, as they do that, that they are reminded of who the land belongs to. But the point is these elders are witnesses and the deal is final, right? But what, what are they witnesses of exactly? Because the narrator leaves a lot here for us to digest. 
they are witnesses that a contract has been signed. And not just like a contract, um, you know, as if you were buying a house or a car. They are witnesses that the name of Elimelech and his house has been redeemed and not cut off. Look at verse 10 again. Did you catch that? Twice it says it, and and I'm just reading it even this week as I've heard this story. I had to do a double take. To perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off. You are witnesses. In, in pure Hollywood fashion, right? We can get excited about Ruth and Boaz getting together and we can cut straight to verse 13 and let's roll the credits. But that would only serve to what romanticize this story and miss the power of the story. And the power of the story lies in the Redeemer's ability to restore God's people no matter the circumstances. God is saying that nothing will get in the way of my promises coming to fruition for my people. Nothing, not famine, not disobedience among my people, not even death. Here in the book of Ruth, we are getting ready for resurrection. The ultimate act that will what? Perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off. Do you see that? Why? Because that's how committed God is to his people. It's the same story. This is what covenantal faithfulness looks like. On his behalf. This is what covenantal love. It is embedded in the mundaneness of God's law. For his people. This again caught me. But it's one of the things to see. uh, To see the grace of God at work. On behalf of those who are trying to be faithful here. Naomi. Ruth. Boaz. But it is another to see the love of God at work. On behalf of someone who has been dead. For over 10 years. And that is Elimelech. How is that a picture of grace for you this morning? All of this, in one sense, is for Elimelech, who isn't even alive. He is, by Old Testament law, in fear of being cut off, removed from the land and its promises and the significance that that holds. He's dead with no heir to keep the land in his name. But, oh, doesn't that just make us understand the power of a redeemer even more? That God would be so kind... To create and find ways to keep his people. Such that death couldn't even stop what God promises he will do for those who trust him. It's beautiful. It's the power of a redeemer. That he has the ability to restore what is lost. What is cut off. And while we get signs of that here in the Old Testament, and look, this stuff is so culturally removed, it is hard to understand what is going on. But, but, but stay with me here, because these are signs. So look, we don't have to understand the, the full ramifications of liberate marriage, right? We can tell that this is pointing to something else. We know what that looks like in full. We know the power of Jesus, Right? Our true kinsman redeemer who is, who by his death and resurrection not only redeemed us at great cost as we saw in the last point, 
by his blood, but he breaks the power of that death for us by his resurrection so that those who would believe in him may never be cut off, but as John 10.10 tells us, may have life and have it to the full. We've seen the need then for a redeemer. We've seen the beauty of that redeemer and the cost that redeemer takes upon himself. And now we see the power of that redeemer to restore what was lost, what was gone, back to life. And the signs that we see here in Ruth that point us to that ultimate redeemer in Jesus Christ. Well, let us enjoy then as we round out the rest of Ruth, the fullness of the story brought to us, uh, sorry, the fullness brought to us because of that Redeemer. And this is where we'll conclude our time. So what happens? And, um, you know, this is sort of that point in the movie where, like, the credits are rolling, but you're getting pictures of people, and they're telling you what they went on to do. This is kind of that part of the book for me. Well, we'll start with the elders there in verse 11. Uh, As the deal is done, there's this enormous celebration uh, we, should, we, we call it a jewish size blessing placed upon the Moabite Gentile woman who is now, as we shall say, grafted in. All right, they pray for her, that she might be like Rachel and Leah, who God worked through to bear sons and daughters, to extend the blessings and promises of God to the world. The same is being said in a very different way, as they pray that hers and Boaz's house will be like that of the house of Perez. Whom Tamar bore to Judah. That's a very messy situation that God worked through, but He worked through it regardless, and that's the point of bringing it to our attention. The point of all of that um, is that the elders are actually looking at Ruth and praying blessing upon her that she might become a mother of Israel. How far has she come, right, from chapter one? It is an astonishing turn from where this all began. But it gets better. Right? What these elders are seeing in the kindness of Boaz and Ruth and their love to Naomi is a glimpse of the kindness of God to not forsake them, but to redeem them. They are remembering that nothing gets in the way of God working his plan of grace to redeem. And they are wishing that God would do it again. In the midst of a season of apostasy in Israel, the time of the judges. And that he would do it this time, though, as he did it through Rachel, as he did it through Leah, as he did it through Tamar. Tamar but this time he would, he would do it through Ruth. This is their prayer. This is their, this is what their blessing they are putting upon this family. God, do it again. Bring your people back. Redeem your people. And would you do it through Ruth, a Moabite woman? And this sets up for us our first takeaway from this book that as we get here, we're just sort of in awe. Because whatever, wherever we find ourselves, whatever our response is to whatever our circumstances are telling us, nothing gets in the way of God working his plan of grace to redeem, does it? Nothing. This is one of the worst situations in the Bible. Not just the story of Naomi, but the context of the judges. And yet there is God at work. And so as we leave here, if you're taking anything from this book, please take the promise that nothing gets in the way. Nothing gets in the way of God working his plan of grace to redeem his people. Not your sin, 
Not your disobedience, not your apostasy, not the culture at large, not even death. And that should be hope for all of us this morning. That nothing gets in the way and and maybe in, in some sense as we look at the elders as they ask God to do it again in this context through Ruth. Of course, we, we know that he has done it in Jesus. We might pray that God would do it again too. A prayer, maybe perhaps a a revival for God's church in places where around this world where it only looks like famine is existing. But God, would you do it again? Would you call somebody to that place? Would you build your church up around that place in that part of the country? Would you bring your kingdom to bear? This is what the elders are pointing us to. They are pointing us to ultimately a Jesus, the first fruits of the kingdom of a promise that will come true for us in time. And we get to sit here on this side of that, right? Knowing that this is coming as well, but praying as well for God to work again amongst his people. As you promise you will, because nothing gets in the way of God working his plans of grace to redeem his people. That's the elders. What, what happens to Boaz and Ruth for the sake of time? Well, in verse 13, they get married. I don't know if you all knew that. They get married and they have a son, Obed. And we are feeling all the feels right now as we read uh, about this. And the camera then zooms in on this newly married couple and their son. And this is exciting and wonderful. But before the credits roll, we pan to Naomi, whom the story is about and where it all started in the first place. Who sits in the chair near Ruth and Boaz. And the story of Naomi will come to a close of this in this book, and she takes her grandson Obed and, and and places him in her lap, as the text says. And Naomi, who lost so much, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Right, who lost so much and returned to Bethlehem, if we remember, empty, is now visually speaking what full. And she tends to Obed in her lap. Quite an ending, isn't it? Quite an ending. Well, as you probably know, there is something much bigger going on here than just a woman becoming a grandparent and a name being restored. God is preparing the way for you this morning for his Redeemer to come and restore all things to himself. That we will experience the true fullness of this story. It's what this child points to. In an almost shocking revelation, we find verse 17 in verse 17 that Obed will become what? The grandfather of David. (laughs) The grandfather of David, who what? Will become the king and restore Israel from this time on, from this time of apostasy. Chapter 4 ends then with a list of names of genealogy. That's easy just to sort of glance over and move on to the next book. That shows us, though, just how big the story Naomi is a part of, and Ruth as well, and Boaz. But it's not a complete genealogy, is it? Ruth, as the opening chapter of Matthew will attest, will sit in direct line of David, who will sit in direct line of who? Jesus, our true kinsman redeemer. Dean Ultrich writes, The story is not ultimately Naomi's story all of a sudden. While she may figure prominently in the story, right, the book wants to talk about something bigger than Naomi's fullness of blessing. 
And that something bigger is how God uses the faithfulness of God, godly people in everyday settings to build his kingdom in all its fullness. In other words, as we end Ruth here, what, 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 what is the reader left with other than who would have ever thought? I mean, it's, it, it is so much other. It is so much bigger than, than anything that our circumstances could be telling us. Than anything that our lives could be going through. Highs and lows. This is enormous. And you're left there with nothing other than to say, then who could have ever have thought this? And it's here that what is restored to you and restored to me this day. And perhaps what was restored for the elders as well. Is a sense of awe and wonder in God in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our cynicism, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our anger, betrayal, or loss. That he has not left us. And that he is at work bringing his kingdom through his church. Because what's the ending Because what the ending of Ruth promises us is that there is a true fullness and a true blessing coming in Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. And though we get taste of it here and good things God gives that God gives us, we as God's people are to what seek out and to rest in and to wait for the true fullness. We know we find in knowing God and Jesus Christ upon his return. We are locked in between chapter 3 and chapter 4, as it were, today. But everything here will be the fullness that we experience. Excuse me. Everything here will be the fullness that we experience, though. Like my girls coming home from a meal that never satisfies. That's what we have here this day. But we do that knowing that true fullness is coming. True fullness is coming. Naomi, friends, is not full because she has a child in her lap. Naomi, uh, Ruth, and Boaz are not full because they got married and bore a son together. The elders and the women who wish blessing upon Ruth are not full because Obed is here. They, along with all of us this morning, are made full only in what the gift of Obed points to, and that is in a servant. Which, by the way, is what Obed means, servant, who will be given to us to redeem us. And as Isaiah 52 and 53 attest, this servant will redeem us at what? Great cost. This servant who Jesus, who is Jesus Christ, will become what? A man of sorrows and will be stricken and smitten and afflicted so that you will not be cut off but that you may have life full. And that's, that's where fullness comes to in our lives, not in the things of this world, but only in knowing God and Jesus Christ. That is the message of Ruth. That is where the cross shows up for us in Ruth as well. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in, a, in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That fullness is only met upon Jesus' return for his bride, the church. But he is coming, friends. He is coming. 
Our Redeemer will return. Until then, we wait. And like Naomi, as heirs of a story so much bigger than our own. And we look for the fullness to come on that day when Jesus returns. It's the same story. You, like Naomi, as we leave here, have received an Obed. All of us have. You've received a servant. You've received a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Do you see the beauty in him? Do you see his power and love to redeem you? Then if you do, then praise God. Because that means you have also seen your need for him. And here's the hard truth about Ruth as we leave it. May God in his kindness and mercy never take that need away from us. No matter the cost. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate what you are doing in Ruth, both just in the book itself, but at large in our lives, we see that your love for us is so much bigger and other than we could ever imagine. The plans that you have and, the, and, and, and how you are going about bringing them to fruition I pray, Lord, it would give us hope this morning to know that, that wherever we find ourselves, whatever the circumstances look like, your story, your, your plan of grace to redeem us is moving on. And we see that so full in Jesus, but yet we wait still for his return as well. And so I pray that you would be with us in the midst of that waiting, be with us in the midst of, of, of rejoicing as well as we enjoy the gifts here, but also as we labor for your kingdom uh, to bring that plan to fruition. We pray, Lord, in that way, would you do it again? Would you continue to work through your church now to bring that kingdom to bear in places where famine only exists? And would you, in, in turn, restore to us a joy of, of, of being in your service and of knowing our true Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has come to us in the line of Ruth right, as your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.